0: It can't just be about changing the employee and helping them change. Organizations need to change around them in order to ensure that all people can thrive in this world that we live in. I mean, it's really, really important. And that includes a number of things. First of all, you use the word vulnerability. I think it really does start with leadership. I think leaders absolutely need a very different core skill set than they needed in the past. And two of those things that are so important are the ability to be vulnerable and show the entire organization and their teams that they too are suffering, that they too struggle, that their world is incredibly messy, just like their employees' worlds are messy.
1: everybody. I'm Lori Brudeman. Welcome to Punk Rock HR. Today's guest is Heidi spearge Heidi is the Chief Strategy and Marketing Officer at Cornerstone On Demand, which is an HR technology company. Heidi is someone that I admire and look to in real life and on Twitter and on LinkedIn. Whenever there's a new tool or trend or something that's getting a lot of hype, I'll know if it's real if Heidi buys into it. Our conversation today touches on all the good stuff, leadership, growth, learning, development, and what it's like to be human at a time where it's just crazy to even be alive. If you're wondering how to be there for your workforce and really how to be there for yourself, sit back and enjoy this conversation with Heidi Spierge. Hey, Heidi, welcome to the podcast.
0: Hey, Laurie, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, it's great to actually physically see you. That's a nice blessing in this crazy time. So I'm grateful for Zoom. I can't believe those words are coming out of my
0: mouth. (laughs) Totally agree. And I'm actually a big fan of Zoom. I suffer from Zoom fatigue tremendously. But when it's used well and appropriately, I think there can be great connections. So it's fun to see your smile.
1: Yeah, well, listen, let's get right to it because we are living in a crazy time. And one of the reasons why I love you as a guest for the podcast is you have a unique position in the marketplace where you're a leader, you deal with customers and clients, and you've got a team of people reporting to you. So why don't you tell the audience who you are and what you do?
0: Sure. So my name is Heidi Spirgi. I'm the Chief Strategy and Marketing Officer at Cornerstone. I've been in the talent management space and industry, largely focusing on software and consulting around talent management for over 20 years. I'm an entrepreneur. I've worked on both the vendor side, the practitioner side, the consulting side. But the common thread of my career is really helping organizations to unlock the best of their employees through emerging practices and programs and building cultures in a way that they can really ensure that people can be the best version of themselves at work and how to leverage technology to do that. I think technology, when used appropriately and used smartly, can be an incredibly powerful vehicle to help build exciting workplaces.
1: Well, there's a ton of good stuff in there. We can go a lot of different ways, but I always like to start a conversation by just asking, how are you doing? How's your family doing? What has this time period been like for you? And tell us all where you're based. Yeah, thanks for the
0: question. I am doing well. I, like most people on this planet, have found it to be an extremely taxing year. I can absolutely say it has never been as stressful and as filled with change and surprises. I wouldn't be human if I didn't find it difficult. So I will be candid to say that. There have been days where emotionally it's been trying, but I am incredibly blessed because I'm doing exceedingly well. My children are doing well. My son is recovering from COVID. He's 19 and blessed with good health it's been quite a ride. We've also been through a major acquisition and the CEO change in that period of time. And I've really led a lot of the charge at our company around a lot of the DEI focus in response to the civil rights movement and Black Lives Matter, in addition to all the stuff we have going on with COVID and remote work. So it's been quite a year, but thank you for asking.
1: Well, of course. And if I'm not mistaken, you're based in California, correct? Yes,
0: I am. I'm actually based in Northern California in Danville, but we did buy a house in Lake Tahoe about a month ago. And that's where I am today. And I have to say, it's been a tremendous balm to a tough year. The mountains are my happy place. So that's a bright spot for sure.
1: Well, I just think about, you know, California is really the epicenter of so much change, right? So much is happening. And it's also where a lot of the good stuff happens. So you've been through a crazy year like all of us. I wonder what you see in terms of what's happening to the workforce. Like what's the workforce going through right now? I mean, you have a team that reports to you, but you're also in a really unique position where you have clients and customers and you get to see into their organizations. So tell us what it's like to be employed in 2020.
0: Yeah, that's a great question. So I think the first thing that I would say is what it's like to be employed in 2020 is it is a year of change. I think all employees, whether it be the employees that are on my team, at our company, or within our customer base who we interact with on a regular basis, are just really maxed out from change. But there's an upside to that. So When companies are very prescriptive and thoughtful about helping their employees through change and cultivating new capabilities and mindsets within their workforce and driving and building new policies and programs, people can change. People are extraordinarily resilient. And we see this. We see this in our children. We see how our children change on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. And that's still inside all of us. It's really just been all of the structures and the things that we've learned over the years that has really disabled enabled that change function. So- Employees are struggling, yes, but companies that are thriving and employees that are thriving are finding ways to really adapt to the world in ways that they haven't before. So personally, I'm optimistic about it. It's been a hard year, but I think there is a path forward. And I really believe that we're learning a lot through this about how workplaces that thrive and are truly genuinely human can help employees change and adapt to this crazy world around us. Because while 2020 may be a year of exceptional change, The funny thing is, is that my keynote coming into 2020 at our users conference last year was all about the unprecedented pace of change and how that's changing the work environment for employees. And then look what happened in 2020. So it's really just an acceleration and a microcosm, which I think is good because it's helping us learn new things and build new practices into our workplaces to help our employees.
1: Well, I like that you're optimistic about adaptability and the capacity to change. One of the things that I worry about, though, is that in this weird time that we're in, we're asking more and more of our workforce and some can respond and some can't. And I think there is a little bit of a fear about being vulnerable. What we're seeing now is that so many women are opting out of the workforce because they can't keep up with the pace of change. They can't manage their you know normal heteronormative marriage right, and all the burdens of raising children and also being leaders and executives executives. executives, or even just individual contributors. So I think we do have the capacity to change, but I worry about people being pushed to the breaking point and having to make tough decisions. Does that
0: resonate with you? 100%. And so it can't just be about changing the employee and helping them change. Organizations need to change around them in order to ensure that all people can thrive in this world that we live in. I mean, it's really, really important. And that includes a number of things. First of all, you use the word vulnerability. I think it really does start with leadership. I think leaders absolutely need a very different core skill set than they needed in the past. And two of those things that are so important are the ability to be vulnerable and show the entire organization and their teams that they too are suffering, that they too struggle, that their world is incredibly messy, just like their employees' worlds are messy, that they too have you know, the crying child in the background and the stressed out husband who you haven't maintained the house to this normal standard because you no longer have a housekeeper coming in or you're doing homeschooling. And so allowing our employees to see that we also suffer and that we also feel insecure and we also experience stress. It gives them permission to feel and be who they are as opposed to trying to not be their authentic selves at work. The second you start to expect employees to try to act or be something other than their genuine self and their full self at work and bring their full entire being into the workplace, it's the second you begin to shut them down and you're going to see stress and burnout increase and you're going to see productivity fall and you're going to see engagement fall because they're not going to have that human connection at work. So I think that vulnerability is really important. And then Authenticity is such an overblown word, but authenticity, and I think about it as very related to transparency as well, which is just keep it real. People want to be treated as adults and they want the truth. They don't always want the sugar-coated message. They want to understand where do we stand As a company, where do we stand as a team and where do I stand as a person? And if you connect with people in a really authentic level and show them the good and the bad and the ugly, you earn just a tremendous amount of trust. And in this world, if we don't start there, then I don't think we can create any sense of community at work. And without community, to me, it's game over. Because human beings, there's a deep fundamental psychological need for community inside of work and outside of work. And if you don't start with that level of transparency and vulnerability and authenticity, how are people going to trust you? How are they going to bring their own selves to work? So I think that's really it starts there, but it doesn't end there. I mean, there's a huge number of practices and policies that I think absolutely are imperative to help people survive in this world of this pace of change. We can't just keep asking them to change without changing around them.
1: Right. I agree with you a hundred percent on all of this. And I love the language around transparency and vulnerability and authenticity. And I think in organizations like yours, that goes without saying, right? And it's been hard earned. Over the years, you've had to earn the trust of the workforce. I worry that so many individuals don't start with that baseline of trust and then remote work happened, right? And so we put people into isolated environments. And so there's this need to kind of show up in a fake way and it's pushing people to the brink of burnout and the brink of exhaustion. So I like your point about executives showing that they're employees too. I think that's so important and so interesting. So have you been doing that with your team? Have you been vulnerable? Have you been drinking your own champagne here? How does that
0: manifest for you as a leader? Yeah, absolutely. I share the messiness of my world quite regularly, meaning whether it's what's happening behind me. And I'm very transparent about my own levels of stress and burnout. This has not been an easy year. I don't try to put on the happy face and just pretend like I have it all together. I also acknowledge how blessed I am that my kids are in college and not young and acknowledge the fact that I don't know how I would have dealt with it if my children were at home. So the way that I always talk about it with my team is bring your whole self to work. And I, try to practice that on a regular basis, which also means spending time in smaller team meetings, sharing and celebrating both successes and failures on the the most personal front and on the professional front. And so that's a regular ritual that I do with my teams. It does create a level of intimacy and openness. And by sharing failures, I call them OSMs, OS bleep. Yeah, we are (laughs) rated E, so it's all good. Okay. O shit moments. O shit moments are fun. So we celebrate O shit moments where some some of them turn out and some of them don't. And it happens on the personal front and on the professional front. So it's so important. And I've been doing it. I think I've practiced it more this year than ever before, because people just need to trust and connect and understand each other and have that visibility into the human side of us and not just the work side of us. Well, that's
1: such a good practice to recommend. Like I love the recommendation of best practices. I think one of the things that I keep hearing from friends and clients and people in the industry is that they miss these serendipitous moments where you would just bump into somebody at the office and go, oh, hey, weren't you skiing last weekend? Or, you know, and it just takes off into a conversation that may or may not lead to work, but feels really good. When these connections are gone, it almost makes work this old school way of getting stuff done, right? We're all in our own little pods and at home and we're not connecting on a human to human level. But I also think there's opportunities to demonstrate something that I'm real passionate about, which is self-leadership, right? Before the pandemic, we're all guilty of this. We would have meetings just to have meetings and meetings just to make people feel good, right? And meetings just to go through a ritual. And now we can actually go into these quiet, focused areas, if we're lucky, do our work and demonstrate that we are the CEOs of our own individual lives. We're the CEOs of our jobs, right? So I think self-leadership is this emerging skill that's becoming more and more important. What do you think about that? Because I think this is something we're gonna be talking about in 2021 and beyond.
0: Yeah, I love that concept in that term. And that's actually one of the things that just in terms of the rituals and practices that I'm trying to instill in my team this year, that is one of them. In fact, I wrote a blog post recently on how, and I didn't call it self-leadership, but basically all of the things that people need to do in order to truly be very thoughtful and mindful about not building their career, but running their career on a day-to-day basis and making the choices that are most important to you. And those can be hard choices. They can be very difficult choices. And my focus was really on how do you actually accomplish what you need to from a work perspective without sacrificing too much personally because I've seen it on my team and there's so much written about it in terms of, you know, our office hours have really just extended, you know, from nine or 10 hours to 12 or 13 hours into weekends. And it's really not a healthy practice. So I have encouraged my team. They know they have the permission to block their calendars and go out and walk or run or do yoga or meditate or spend time with their kids or to decline meetings. We also have a practice where all of our 30-minute meetings are 25-minute meetings and all of our 60-minute meetings are 45-minute meetings to take time between meetings, not to catch up on email, but to breathe and do those things that you need to do to take care of yourself and your family and your health. And without really that self-leadership and that being really mindful and deliberate about your boundaries and about building new practices into the workday, I think we're just going to all see our mental health, physical health, family health erode very quickly.
1: That is really good recommendations in terms of the length of meetings. I also think that one of the things that we love, right, about connection with Zoom can also be the thing that exhausts us and drains us by the end of the day. So I wonder what you're doing to manage Zoom fatigue on your teams. And do you have any recommendations, any thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, so a few things. So number one, all of my team knows that in the subject heading, if they're not going to be sharing slides, to put screens optional. And so that means that, you know, in advance, you can take that call walking from a car, sitting in bed without your webcam on in your pajamas, and it gives them permission in advance to plan their lives accordingly. I also have a practice with my direct reports to schedule walking meetings. If any of you have not tried that, I so encourage it walking meetings don't look at each other's face focus on what you're saying get the fresh air breathe deeply get a little bit of exercise I think the creativity and the level of connection is much stronger and the level of open-mindedness is stronger when you're moving so I typically when I have in person it's been a long-standing practice of mine when I have in-person difficult conversations with employees I always do it outside and preferably walking it just opens the minds and anyone who's a parent probably knows those those sweet moments with children when they open up and are more vulnerable. And it's typically not when you're sitting at them staring across the dinner table eye to eye. So that's another thing that we do. Wait, wait, Heidi,
1: remind me to never get a walking meeting with you on my calendar if I'm a little worried about my performance. (laughs) Hey, everybody. Chances are you've spent the past few months cooped up with your family, buried under a relentless news cycle, and with work that never seems to switch off. Millions of us worldwide are overworked, exhausted, and trying our hardest, yet not getting the recognition we deserve. It's time for a fix. That's why I wrote my new book, Betting on You, How to Put Yourself First and Finally Take Control of Your Career. It's an essential guide for how to snap out of autopilot and become your own best advocate with candid and new stories and easy to adopt steps. I wrote this book for you. I believe in you. And I would be honored if you would pre-order it today. Head on over to laurierudeman.com forward slash books. That's laurierudeman.com forward slash books and pre-order your copy today.
0: My team also knows I've made it very, very clear to my extended team, turn off your camera anytime. It's not mandatory. Now, pre-COVID, pre-remote working, we did make it mandatory because those meetings were fewer and farther between. It is important and an important way to engage remote workers, but the pace that with which we are living with Zoom today is with new rules.
1: (laughs) Totally. And I think we're also better at remote work. I mean, all of us have really learned. We've had like a masterclass over the past six months. And I find, you know, the camera is helpful. Like you and I can see one another now. It helps with body language. We don't step on one another. But day in, day out, just to kind of catch up you can step on people. You can have an awkward conversation and it just helps me overcome so much fatigue. But I wonder, what do you see differently about remote work? You know, you talked about how pre-COVID, it was a good way to check in. How has remote work changed for you over the past six months?
0: Yeah, it's an interesting question. I've actually been working remotely for about the last 15 years. Now I do a lot of travel, of course, to both customers as well as to... We're headquartered in Southern California, so I fly from Northern California. So I am a veteran when it comes Comes to remote work. So for me, it has not changed so much with the exception of the Zoom fatigue for me personally, just because it's an interesting question. I think one of the differences is oftentimes I was dialing in remotely and there would be a team in a conference room and you're not staring eye to eye. Looking at people in a conference room is far easier than staring eye to eye. There's an intensity that comes with that it's good and it's bad. But one of the interesting things that we've seen at Cornerstone is that in many pockets of our company, areas where we can actually measure productivity, we've seen productivity increase. And that is once again, also good and bad. It depends on how you look at it because it's not always a good thing because it may just mean longer hours. But a lot of the fear that we had going into remote working around, would we be able, particularly in our customer support and engineering teams, would we be able to see the same level of productivity? And the answer is absolutely yes. But what we can't forget is that is for maybe the majority of employees, but there's a subset of people out there who are suffering tremendously in this remote work environment. And I'm blessed to have a workspace that is uninterrupted and I can be focused, but there's a lot of people in this world who don't have a workspace that is conducive to remote work. As we look at reentering the physical workspace, not yet, but preparing for the when it will happen, really looking at how are we very thoughtful about accommodating all types of needs. And there are going to be employees who aren't going to want to return to work. And there's going to be employees that are desperate to return to the office. So I think that it's going to create it, I'm hoping, a new level of thoughtfulness and inclusion in the work environment, the physical work environment, because we're accommodating a lot of different needs. And I think that's the ideal end state here is that we take the best of it and then we personalize the opportunities and the work environment for the individual employee. Well, I
1: love that answer. And you know, as you were talking, I was thinking about what have I personally learned over the past six months? And one of the things I've learned is that I too had a bias for working from home, like I had done it for so long, and I actually had to be patient while others caught up. And that surprised me. Like I had to really be on guard and not like rush people or get frustrated when they were bad with technology or they accidentally... Cut themselves off, or or whatever, you know. Like I had to exhibit a different style of leadership and just say, "Okay, we're going to get through this." You know. So, yeah, you
0: must have had that as well. Like you must be the Sherpa for everybody on your team. (laughs) Yeah, my team snapped to it pretty quickly. I have to say, we're working for a software company. I think most of the people are pretty tech savvy, but I think the what I still see as just the biggest ongoing challenge is the children at home, the children, baby, infants, toddlers. I don't think there is a secret panacea to that one. But that's one of the things we are also looking at is we've just rolled out a program for our working parents because there's just a tremendous amount of nervousness amongst parents in the US, globally, our program is US only as part of the pilot, that their kids are going to fall behind because of remote schooling. So we've developed a relationship with Sylvan Learning. And I've offered, we are offsetting the price of private tutoring for all of our employees, school-age children, and then offering a deeply reduced rate after we pay for the first 20 hours of tutoring. And it's a program we're actually rolling out to our customers as well. So I think it's an example of how companies need to get creative around how they support their employees. Today, and in the future. There's a lot of new approaches to creating a positive and inclusive work environment that I think we're being forced into getting that level of creativity to respond to such a crisis, but we'll have a lot of lasting good. I can imagine this program continuing in perpetuity. I don't see why it wouldn't. And I failed to mention, but we always at Cornerstone, we always try to ask ourselves everything that we're doing for our employees, how can we also contribute to the community in a similar way? So part of this initiative is Is underserved communities are struggling even more with this remote schooling environment. So we have a relationship with Sylvan Learning such that for every 20 hours of tutoring that's purchased, they offer a 30-hour course to a underprivileged child. So I think it's kinds of things like that's just an example of companies getting creative. And I think we need to think that way more. And even after we come out of this.
1: So I love where this conversation is going. And I actually want to end on companies being a force for good. You know, we are at a really weird inflection point in our society where we're undergoing a health crisis, right? A pandemic, a racial epidemic, And, and the related change, hopefully that comes out of that, as well as a recession. So I wonder what you see as a leader that organizations can be doing, right? You talked about bringing all the forces of good, all the creativity to the table. And you're doing that currently with your employee base and your customers and reaching out to the community. For HR professionals and other business leaders who are out there and really want to be a force for change in this world, how do they get started? How do they motivate their organizations? How do they, without having a budget for corporate social responsibility, how do they dip their toes in the water and really start to move their company in a position to do some good in the world?
0: Yeah, it's a fantastic question. So part of our mission is we've been founded on the mission of helping all people become extraordinary in order to change the world. And I believe that companies have an opportunity to, if and when they create a very positive workplace environment and in a place where their employees can be fully understood and valued for their whole self, their unique self, not for their role, not for their contributions, but for who they are as a person, everything that they bring to the table and help them be guided and coached in such a way that is highly personalized to them not just based on the current job or even their current skill sets but also that their natural strengths that they bring to the table that intersection between skills and passion we know that people thrive and explode with energy and have such high levels of engagement and genuine positivity and they're energy creators in the world and in the workplace when they are playing to their strengths and creating a sense of belonging for them and helping them feel connected and part of a community. I believe that's fundamentally the job of a CHRO and the job of a CEO as far as their employees. So I believe it starts with your employees. And when you can create extraordinary people at work and help them be the best versions of themselves. They're going to go out into the world and they are going to create change. And whether that's change in solving some of the world's biggest problems, we have some really big problems that need solving and we need the best people and people to be their best to be extraordinary in order to solve those problems. And companies are at the tip of the spear and trying to solve those problems. So to change the world, we have to change our workplaces to help people be extraordinary. And so it starts there, but it doesn't end there because I also think part of the CHRO's role is also to look beyond the employee and into the community. So what I am excited about is that we are seeing companies at this point in 2020, take steps and do things outside of their four walls of their organizations in ways that they haven't before. And then beyond the community, I also think it includes changing the world is how do you engage with your customers? Do you engage with your customers in that equally authentic and vulnerable way and help build a community with your customers to be on a path together and build a mission together with them to try to change the world? That is why I came to Cornerstone ultimately is to do that. Two weeks ago, we held our annual global users conference. It was the first time it was global. And it was, of course, it was the first time it was virtual. Interesting data point that I think many in the world will find fascinating is our attendance grew by 500% year over year. And we had over 20,000 registrations, over 9,000 attendees. And that's not the story. That's, that's interesting. But just to share the scale of it. The big risk in what you think about when you transition to an online experience is losing that human connection. And there were three words that kept coming up over and over again from our customers. And that was authentic, vulnerable, and connected. And that to me was unbelievable that technology that technology as a medium to communicate and connect could actually create that and we shifted our programming a bit to also look at how can we give a gift of hope and a gift of inspiration to our customers and so we had Viola Davis and Emmanuel Acho and Adam Grant speak and there was a live chat that was occurring during the live keynotes and it was like being able to read people's minds it was so moving lori to read how people were responding to what they were hearing and experiencing and these breakthroughs of thinking and thought and mind and heart that people were having. It was very humbling. And so I share that as an example of how you can create good and CHROs and CEOs, leaders, businesses can create a tremendous amount of positive change in the world by being creative and being thoughtful and trying to instill that sense of connection and vulnerability, and be a leader for positive change. I mean, some people could claim that we had too much focus on DE&I. You know, we had two of the three of our keynote speakers were Black. You know, there's all kinds of things you can do to throw, but we're trying to drive positive change in the world. And I think it was a big success. So just an example for other leaders to perhaps consider.
1: Congratulations on that. And you know, Heidi, I'm not surprised. I've been to your events. They're always terrific. So for me to hear that people thought it was engaging and they were connected and there was authenticity does not shock me at all and actually reaffirms the reason why we've been partners and we've had fun together over the years. I and mean, Cornerstone is just an amazing organization. And it's always really fun to catch up with you. Thanks for doing a deep dive into your thoughts on leadership today. I really appreciate it. If people want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? LinkedIn. Connect with me on LinkedIn
0: or following me on Twitter.
1: Well, we'll make sure to include both of those in the show notes. And thanks again for being a guest today. Great.
0: Thank you so much, Laurie, for having me. It was great fun. You're welcome. Take
1: care. Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Heidi Spergi. Now, you can find all kinds of resources in the show notes. And the best place to go for that is laurirudiment.com forward slash punkrockhr dash 134. It's a real honor and privilege to come to you weekly. I don't take that for granted. So thanks for listening and we'll see you next time on Punk Rock HR.